Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, very pleasant uh, good morning to you. This is Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com. If I can push the right button here, you're going to meet Jefferson Morley in just a moment. And I think you're going to find this show interesting, kind of a special. It uh, It is um, November 22nd, uh, 2022. 59 years ago today, Patrick, your host here, was walking up to class on about 1230 in St. Louis, and they came over the speaker and said the president has been shot. Um, and we spent the weekend watching TV like most most of the world did, and watched Lee Harvey Oswald get killed, shot by Jack Ruby on Sunday. And since that time, there's been, I don't know how many, uh, Mr. Morley may know, books written about the JFK assassination. Jeffrey Morley is an interesting fellow. He's written quite a few books on um, which we nonfiction and, and history involving uh, the CIA. He worked for the Washington Post as world news editor, uh, WashingtonPost.com. He's appeared in New York Review Books, Rolling Stone, The Nation, New Republic, He's written three books, um, uh, nonfiction kind of uh, historical books. Uh, one is Our Man in Mexico. Second was The Ghost, The Secret Life of Spy Master. And then the third one was Scorpions, about the president, Richard Nixon, and his relationship with CIA director Richard Helms. There's an organization called the Mary Farrell Foundation, and these folks have been wanting to get all the records and all the good stuff about the JFK assassination out. Jeffrey Morley is the vice president of that organization, and uh, he's on vacation somewhere in Minnesota. And let's see if we can bring him up here. And Mr. Morley, good morning. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Really do. Thanks for having me, Patrick. Yeah. So it's quite a day in, in your life, too, with all your work with JFK, huh? November 22nd. Yeah. I, I should say, you said you were in St. Louis. I was in St. Louis, too, on that day. I was in kindergarten um, and uh, hmm. don't have any recollection of anybody saying the president's been shot. I yeah. do have a recollection of everybody in our family sitting around our Philco black and white TV yeah. that weekend. And something had happened. Yeah. That was all I knew as a little as a little five-year-old kid. So that's how I uh, you know, first experienced this story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was quite a, it was, you always remember those kind of days, Mr. Marley, you know, that, that moment, yeah. I'll always remember that, walking up the stairs. I was a senior, I guess, in high school at the time. And, where, where did you go? Which high school? Uh, uh, high School out in Walnut Park in North oh, okay. St. Louis. I lived out, lived out that way. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I was musing that before. Do we know how many books have been written about the JFK assassination? Can you even guess? I mean, I, I, I have seen the figure 2000, um, which um, uh, which is probably out of date by now because now people are doing a lot of self-publishing on uh, Kindle and Amazon. Yeah. Um, so the number, it's certainly in the thousands. It's probably more than 2000. Wow. To this day, Mr. Morley is the Official story still, according to the United States, that Lee Harvey Oswald was a lone assassin. Is it still the official story in Washington? Yeah, although, you know, you won't get any government entity to go on the record saying that. And it's notable that on this occasion, you know, the CIA, the FBI, the White House, they don't come out and say, you know, here's what happened on that day. Right. And the reason they don't do that is, is understandable, because it's not a very credible story. And most people, according to opinion polls, including one that was just taken, um, which we'll find out about soon, most people don't believe it. A majority of people still believe that a ma more than one person was involved, despite 60 years of the government and most major media organizations insisting to the contrary. So the belief in the lone gunman theory is quite strong in elite circles in the government and in major media organizations mm -hmm. but the general public is, as a matter of fact does not find it convincing so that's why we're here today talking about this yeah. because the official story really isn't very credible 
Are so there? Or do you at the Mary Farrell Foundation? Do you all believe that there are a lot of good stuff, if you might want to call it, that you can someday get and have more information? Do you? Believe, you must have, believe that, right? Yes, yes, we do believe that. Um, I mean, w- here's what we do know: the government has in its possession sixteen thousand plus records related to the assassination that still have some form of redaction in them, okay? They might be missing a word, like a code name Mm -hmm. or a name. Uh, They might be missing a a paragraph. They might be missing whole pages, but there are 16,000 different documents. 11,275 of those are held by the CIA. So, you know, our position at the Mary Farrell Foundation is that by law, all of this material should be made public. It was all supposed to be made public by November, October 2017. Um, Unfortunately, on that occasion, President Trump caved to the demands of the CIA and FBI, Hmm. broke a campaign promise, Hmm. um, and gave the secret agencies four more years of what they wanted, which was secrecy around the JFK file. That kicked the decision to President Biden in October 2021, and he did. Oops, that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> he did. He did the same thing. Uh, he bowed to the demands of the secret agencies and gave them another year of privacy. So we have another deadline coming up five years after the original deadline uh, for full JFK disclosure. That's going to be on December fifteenth of this year. So the Mary Farrell Foundation sued. President Biden and the National Archives for failure to enforce the JFK Records Act. We've had two blown deadlines in five years. We are hopeful that the government will comply with the law, a law passed unanimously by Congress, Hmm. a law signed into, into law by a Republican president and implemented by a Democratic president. This is something that is universally acknowledged as the will of the people. Hmm. And the government still can't bring itself to obey the spirit and the letter of the law. So we're hoping for full disclosure on December 15th, but I wouldn't say that we're assuming that's going to happen. Yeah, it would be a pretty stretch now uh, to think that the CIA still wouldn't have juice over Biden or whoever's in the presidency, right? They, They must have a lot of... Well, you know, um, uh, uh, President Trump made a big deal about, you know, denouncing the deep state and right. he, all, all the meanies at the CIA who criticize him and all that. When it came to JFK records, he gave them everything they wanted, everything. every single thing they wanted. No. Well. So my friends who, 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 who like President Trump, I'm not not a supporter of the man at all. Um, we're very disappointed by that. Yeah. Um, uh I was disappointed when President Biden caved too. Sure. So, uh, you know, this is a this is a big problem, and um, you know, it, it's a big issue. People still care about it, um, and you know, we're going to have accountability. Uh, you know, that's what the Mary Farrell Foundation is doing. We're insisting on JFK accountability. Well, we need to know. My God, I mean, you need to know what really happened, right? Come on. Yeah. Exactly. I'm- exactly. It's a, it's a matter of common sense except in certain quarters in Langley, Virginia. CIA. CIA. Now, you've written a lot about it, and uh, Oliver Stone's movie and other movies have kind of alluded to it. Do you think that they were, I mean, how do you know for sure, but if you want, do you think they were involved? CIA? I think the CIA is hiding relevant information about the causes of the assassination. I think they're hiding... They're hiding sources and methods around Lee Harvey Oswald. So the officers who knew about Oswald before the assassination are being protected. Mm. And that's really where we're at right now. And at the Mary Farrell Foundation, that's in my work, that's a real focus. We, the CIA needs to come clean about what those people knew and when they knew it. And uh, so that is a particular focus that we have on this issue. Now, am I saying there's a CIA conspiracy? Hey, I don't have all the records, okay? The CIA has all the records. So I'm not going to jump to conclusions sure. until they share all the records. Right. About, you know, was there a conspiracy? Wasn't there a conspiracy? I'm a reporter, okay? I don't report on theories. I report on facts. And people who read my books and, my, and JFK facts at Substack, 
they will see my reporting is entirely factual. There's there's no conspiracy theories in it. And we have it up there, and it's the jfkfacts.substack.com. Yes. But you so, can subscribe for free. You can support the journalism. Oh, cool. You can keep up with the story there. And this is where you can keep up with the story of, you know, what's going to happen with Biden's order next month. Yeah. Um, did did the media cover, cover it at all when Trump refused it? I mean, I don't even recall it going on. Yes. Yeah. Did they? Yes. No. Yes. So what do we what do we know for sure? I mean, here we are on that weekend, and they hold up the gun, and they say this is Lee, and you know he gets shot on Sunday. And I mean, what facts do we really have, Mister Morley, about this so, thing? So, I think the important thing is to understand what we have learned in recent years. Okay, let's do that. Um, yeah. And rather than try and like talk about a theory and does this fact fit into that theory. Let's skip all of that. Okay. okay? That's barroom talk. We don't talk that way in a newsroom. Mm. Okay. In a newsroom, you talk about what's new and how, and, 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 and how do we put it in context with what happened yesterday. So the important thing to understand, I think, for people about the JFK is to understand some very major things that we have learned since Oliver Stone's movie. Okay. These are things that were not known to the Warren Commission. They were not known to Oliver Stone. Okay, and the first of those is the story that the CIA told the Warren Commission. This guy, Lee Harvey Oswald, he came out of nowhere and shot the president. We didn't know anything about him. Okay, that was the, the sworn testimony of Deputy Director Richard Helms in May 1964 when asked what sort of information did the agency have on the accused assassin before November 22nd. Helms said it was, quote, probably minimal. Okay, end quote. Okay, that statement is definitely false. Okay, Lee Harvey Oswald was very well known to a small group of operations officers in CIA headquarters, very senior people. And when I say he was known to them, they had a file on him that detailed where he lived, his personal life, his politics, his foreign contacts. They were even reading his mail. Wow. Okay. So the CIA told a big lie to the Warren Commission, and we, and we didn't really know how big a lie it was until uh, the 1990s when, um, thanks to Oliver Stone's movie, Congress passed a law, the JFK Records Act, and said government agencies had to make public all of their JFK records. It was only in the mid-1990s that we finally got a look at the pre-assassination Oswald file. It wasn't fully declassified until 2001. Hmm. It only took 38 years to declassify the file of the man they call the lone gunman. What, do we, what does that file tell us? That file tells us that Oswald was very well known to top CIA operations officers and, in fact, was used for intelligence purposes before the assassination. Now, was he used for the purposes of assassinating the president? Well, since we don't have all the records, we can't really jump to that conclusion. But I think that the records that we don't have will shed light on that. And that's an important thing about December 15th is, mm. you know, are they going to illuminate this outstanding question about what they knew about Oswald while JFK was still alive? So that's one very important very thing. Very interesting. Before we move on with to the next one, do we know what the CIA was doing with Oswald at all? When you say intelligence, do, did, people, did we know um, what they were doing with him? Um, a couple of things. Uh, um, the CIA was very concerned at that time, the early 1960s, hmm. about moles within the CIA. Moles? And James Angleton, the chief of counterintelligence for the CIA, was searching for moles for a Soviet spy inside the CIA. And Oswald's file was used in the mole hunt. That's one thing we knew that they used him for. It also looks like Oswald was used in a psychological warfare operation in the summer of 1963, which was intended to discredit supporters of Fidel Castro living in the United States. 
Which brings me to my second point, okay. okay, which is what what we have learned. The second thing that we've learned since the 1990s is how the CIA relied on and used deception operations in 1963. The Warren Commission didn't know about the CIA's techniques in deception operations. And we in the 1990s, we learned about two such deception operations. The first one was something called Operation North Woods, which was actually a Pentagon plan to provoke a war with Cuba by staging a violent incident in the United States and blaming it on Fidel Castro so as to create a pretext for a U.S. invasion. The CIA was not the lead on Operation North Woods, but they were a, a support planning agency on Operation North Woods. The CIA had its own deception operations in something called COINTELPRO, uh, the counterintelligence program, as it was known at the FBI. Mm -hmm. COINTELPRO was a joint FBI-CIA program to infiltrate, disrupt, harass, and destroy leftist groups that were opposed to U.S. foreign policy. And we now know, thanks to revelations since the 1990s, that the CIA targeted the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, an organization which Oswald belonged to, for COINTELPRO treatment in the fall of 1963. So we learned that the CIA knew a whole lot more about Oswald than they ever admitted, and we've learned that the CIA used deception operations against the organization that Oswald belonged to. Um, and uh, that they use deception operations. And then the third thing is that, that they use these deception operations against an organization that Oswald belonged to. So this, what that tells us is the CIA was well positioned to manipulate Oswald for its own purposes. And that's what they're still hiding, is their sources and methods around Lee Harvey Oswald. Hmm. So so then the business on Stone's, Mr. Stone's movie in, in New Orleans was fairly accurate, do you, you believe? Well, yeah, I mean, um, Stone dramatized uh, those events, and, and they are baffling. Um, I mean, I'm not endorsing Oliver Stone's version of events. That's a movie. It's a Hollywood movie. It's not a documentary. It's not a document. It's a piece of fiction, frankly. Um, but yeah, I mean, Stone relied on a lot of sources and, and, did, and did not accept the Warren Commission's very superficial and uninformed account of what happened with Oswald in New Orleans. Stone suggested in the movie, intimated uh, that there was much more going on. And what we have learned since his movie supports that conclusion. There mm. was much more going on in with Oswald in New Orleans than the Warren Commission ever knew. Mm. Anything that we know more about Garrison than Mr. Stone knew when he made the movie? Um, uh, yeah, hmm. um, the CIA devoted a lot of effort to illegally seeking to infiltrate and disrupt Garrison's investigation. And we've learned this from declassified files. There was something called the Garrison Group, which was convened by counterintelligence chief James Angleton to keep track of Garrison's investigation. So the CIA was very worried about Garrison and took, um, you know, active measures to thwart him. And when I say illegal, that's illegal because it's illegal for the CIA to mount operations on U.S. soil. The CIA definitely mounted an operation against, um, I got to get rid of this cat. Oh. <laughs> um, the CIA definitely mounted an operation against Garrison in 1967, 68, and 69. That's another thing that we've learned. Uh, tell, tell our listeners who Garrison is. I just assume that they would know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jim Garrison. <laughs> Hold on one second. Okay. Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com. Jefferson Morley is with us. He's written three or four books, nonfiction and kind of... Uh, historical books involving some things that the CIA has been involved in. I used to work for the Washington Post. Uh, 
My apologies. Oh, that's right. yeah. the district attorney for the city of New Orleans. In yeah. 1967, he opened an investigation of Kennedy's assassination, saying that there had been a plot organized in New Orleans to assassinate the president. And um, he brought uh, a local businessman, Clay Shaw, to trial, charging that he was a CIA agent. He didn't have much evidence for the claim that Shaw was a CIA agent, and he had less evidence that Shaw was involved in a JFK conspiracy, and Shaw was swiftly acquitted at trial in February 1969. But the trial was important for a couple of reasons. It was the first time that Abraham Zabruder's home movie hmm. of the assassination, a movie taken by a spectator, captured the gunfire that killed the president. That movie had never been seen publicly until 1969, until Garrison showed it. Um, and uh, and second, we learned in the 1990s, Clay Shaw was a CIA agent, a highly paid contract agent, hmm. as one CIA official said in a memo. Um, so Garrison, it turns out, was right about that. So um, that's who Jim Garrison was. That's why he's in, in matters. That's why people talk about him on this day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you look at the Zapruder film, do we know if it was edited, what we got to see from Life magazine? Folk? They ended up with it at some point. Didn't Life magazine, somehow they got it? Life magazine bought the rights to the Zapruder film on the day of the assassination, and they wow. printed frames of it, but they, it was never shown publicly on broadcast um, uh, TV until 1975. It was shown in a New Orleans courtroom in 1969. After that, bootleg copies began to circulate on college campuses, and then it was finally shown for the first time on Geraldo Rivera's Goodnight America show in March 1975. It's now you know widely available sure. on YouTube. Sure. Do we know with what we see today? Was it edited? Do we believe? Or? I don't believe that the I don't believe that the that the Zabruder film was edited. You don't, I don't think there's no no. As in the movie JFK and Garrison and the whole with the head going back. I mean, is that proof enough that there was a shot from the front? I mean, you know, every person has to decide for themselves. Sure. To me, that sure looks like he's hit from a shot from the front. But the visual evidence for me, I, I must say. Uh, you know, strange things, any police officer will tell you, strange things happen when people get hit by bullets, you know, and people's reactions are very unpredictable. So I think that just the visual evidence, you know, you you have to take it, not with a grain of salt, but you can't be sure, just because we can't recreate, you know, we can't do a scientific experiment and recreate what happened and say, some people say that if you're hit by a bullet from behind, that creates a kind of, you know, physical reaction that sends your your head back towards the source of the bullet. Oh, really? You know, uh, that's an argument. Um, you know, people provide a lot of scientific and you know mathematical equations to prove that it's true. You know, I'm I'm skeptical. I, you know, I think the visual evidence is strong, but for me, more important was the the evi the the testimony of Dr. Robert McClellan was one of the doctors, one of the senior doctors who tried to save Kennedy's life and who spent about 10 minutes standing over Kennedy's body as the, as the technicians tried to save his life. Wow. And so he saw the president's wound, head wound, very close up from a distance of about 18 inches for an extended period of time, 10 or 15 minutes at least. And Dr. Robert McClellan said he was sure that Kennedy was hit by a gunshot from the front. So to me... The visual evidence is strong, and the testimony of Dr. McClellan is even stronger. Now, am I 100% sure? Well, the doctor could be mistaken. Sure. Um, you know, uh, and so, but I feel that that's very strong evidence, and anybody who's interested can look at the Zabruder film, and you can look at Dr. McClellan did a very detailed, interesting interview with a, another doctor. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's a conversation among doctors. Um, about what he saw and why he came to the conclusions that he did. He did that for the Allen Public Library in Allen, Texas. Hmm. So if you look for the Zabruder film and Dr. Robert McClellan in Allen, Texas, 
you can look at the exact same information I'm looking at. I find it's very strong. I, you know, look at it and come to your own conclusion. Yeah. With all the books and the different people we've talked to, sir, over the years, all the stories about the brain and not the brain and put, you know, the whole, everything, just crazy kind of ideas. And have you found any of these to be factual? Some of the, the more conspiratorial ideas, you know, about, you know what I mean? With Well, okay. it was in his brain um, and the what, thing and all the, the whole. You know, I mean, um, the subject is morbid. I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm not interested in any theories. Um, it is true that there is a dispute about the president's brain because when you suffer a massive head wound, like everybody agrees Kennedy suffered, a lot of the brain material was blasted out of his skull. Typical human male uh, brain weighs about, I think, 1,400 grams, 1,300, 1,400 grams. Um, the specimen that is in possession of the National Archives might weigh 11 or 1,200 grams. And people say the, can the president's brain suffered much more damage than that. That can't be the president's brain. Hmm. Uh, now, what does that tell you about conspiracy? nothing it just tells you that the government's account of this crime is not very convincing and it has you know people are questioning it at, at every turn so um that's one thing you know you asked about the brain any anything else that you are wondering about well certainly wondering about um oh all kinds of things like president johnson's participation i i i found no you didn't find evidence any that, that, that connects President Johnson to the crime. Uh, people present a lot of circumstantial evidence that LBJ was a son of a bitch, that he controlled Texas, that he wanted to be president. All of that is true. None of that connects Johnson to, to Oswald hmm. or the events that happened afterwards. We do know what Johnson did, and what Johnson did after the assassination, I think, indicates what I would call guilty knowledge. Doesn't indicate advanced knowledge. Johnson understood that the president had been killed by enemies in his own government, and he decided within 48 hours that he needed an investigation that would come to the conclusion that one man alone was responsible. That way, he didn't have to investigate his own government. So Whoa. was Johnson involved? I, I, I don't find any convincing evidence of that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the, there's some eyewitness testimony about some things he said. Those witnesses, you know, their credibility is open to question. So um, I would put it this way. There is much more evidence to connect CIA officers to Lee Harvey Oswald than there is to connect Lyndon Johnson to the assassination. Mm -hmm. So, so would, does that connect CIA with Vietnam and other things and why they would be interested in doing this? Uh, you know, there was very strong opposition to President Kennedy's policies in Vietnam and Cuba. Yeah. Um, and I would say not just opposition, but hostility, and I would say even fear. There was a fear that Kennedy was endangering the country. Um, and uh, so the enemies of the president had that motivation of fear of the president's liberal foreign policy. Um, but can we attribute that fear to the events that happened in Dealey Plaza? I don't think so, and, and certainly not with Vietnam. I think the connection with Cuba is much clearer, okay? Oswald was supposedly a Castro supporter. Um, uh, there was an immediate effort, a la Operation Northwoods, to link uh, Castro to the assassination in Dallas, exactly what was proposed under a deception operation like Operation Northwoods. So I think that... I would say most likely the president was killed by enemies in his government who were trying to stop his Cuba policy. And his Cuba policy was what? 
because Cuba policy was not to overthrow Fidel Castro the way the CIA and the and the and the Pentagon wanted to do that. By the fall of 1963, Kennedy was becoming open to the idea of reaching a diplomatic accommodation with Castro and recognizing his government and ending the state of war between the two countries. Mm -hmm. That was um, anathema to Kennedy's enemies in the national security agencies. So has that been, you've written a lot about the CIA over the years, Mr. Moore. Has that been the MO with the Pentagon and the CIA doing things in different countries? Coups my, books are not, my books are not JFK conspiracy. No, books. they're my not. Books Go ahead. Describe how the CIA worked in 1963 through the eyes of three senior officials. Winston Scott, the chief of the station in Mexico City, he was in charge of the surveillance of Oswald in October 1963. James Angleton, chief of counterintelligence, he controlled the Oswald file from 1959 to 1963. And deputy director Richard Helms, who lied to the Warren Commission um, and oversaw covert operations against Cuba in 1963. So, that's what my books establish is what the CIA knew about Oswald before the assassination. Which was a lot. Which was a lot. A lot. Yes. So that's what your books are about. And how do you find this stuff out if they hide all this? I mean, well, you really have to dig as a reporter, huh? Whoa. Yeah, uh, you read a lot of declassified documents and interview a lot of retired CIA people and um, ignore JFK conspiracy theories. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that, that's how you get the job done. That's how you get it done. Over the years, have you come across uh, people that you really wanted to talk to that refused to talk to you about this CIA or anything involving JFK? Uh, a couple, hmm. a, um, a couple, but I wouldn't say that they were. You know, they weren't the most important people that I spoke to. I spoke to very important people who, who, who did speak candidly about this. And they gave you some good material, some what you believe were yeah. factual. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Not, not I believe were factual, that were verifiable. Ver verifiable. So you're really a persnickety reporter, aren't you? You're really into the facts. It's pretty, pretty cool. It's rare these days. <laughs> right? Very rare. You know, there's been uh, quite a bit... Uh, conspiracy kind of, you know, rumors about the money where I think JFK, did he not print 300 million or billion in, million in U.S. notes or something? Any any evidence that it was tied in, the bankers and the money and, and that? None. None that I've ever seen. Right. Never seen any. And, and, and I've been reporting on it for 30 years and people, if they have some information to the contrary, have written to me and said, what about this? What about that? I mean, it doesn't, there's no connection to the assassination, Kennedy's policies on the Federal Reserve yeah. that I've ever seen. Just a lot of good stories, interesting rumors and things. That... I'm not interested in rumors. No, no I, I, can, I get that from talking to you. You're not a rumor kind of a guy. Kind of a guy. No, yeah. no. Why would you waste time on rumors? Right when this, the real story is really interesting, yeah. the, the real facts are fine. Skip the rumors and the theories. Just look at the facts. Oh. But will we ever really know the real story if they don't release Absolutely. these files? Well, no, no. I, we 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 can and will know the whole story. Why are you so it's confident they'll they'll let them out someday? Why do you, why are you so confident? Um. I'm not. I'm not saying that the the whole story is in the documents that are being withheld. There's an important part in that. Um, uh, I think you know. I'll tell you when I think the whole thing will be resolved mm. is in um, 2067. 2067. In 2067, um, a series of interviews that Jackie Kennedy and Bobby Kennedy gave to a friend of theirs, William Manchester, the historian, um, are under seal in the library at Wesleyan University in Connecticut. That's where Manchester went to school, and he deposited his papers there under a deed of gift that keeps these 
interviews sealed until 2067. But we know enough about what Bobby and Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy and Jackie Kennedy thought about Dallas. Sure. Right. We know they didn't believe the Warren Commission. They thought Jack had been killed by enemies in his own government. And they said as much. Um, so those interviews are going to lay bare that fact in an irrefutable way. And we will understand that the people closest to the crime thought that the president had been killed by his enemies. So I think the combination of those interviews and all the material that will be released, hopefully December 15th, but maybe after that, um, will accumulate to a point where people understand what happened. Do you think this country really, something happened after this murder 69 years, 59 years ago today, as far as, um, I don't know, presidents, people conjecture. Do you have any theories on that? Uh, well, I, 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 I think it feels like it, happened. doesn't it? Something happened after that time. Um, I mean, it's interesting to me that President Johnson, who appointed the Warren Commission, didn't believe its conclusion. President Johnson thought Kennedy had been killed by political enemies. Hmm. President Nixon was more closed mouth than Johnson, but he too doubted the official story. Um, uh, so there was plenty of skepticism at the top of the federal government, not expressed publicly, but privately. So that's one legacy of the assassination is this skepticism about the lone gunman theory extended right into the Oval Office, okay? It wasn't a bunch of crazy people saying Kennedy had been killed. Right. It was the leaders of the United States, you know, men who were not delusional, not conspiracy theorists. These were the smartest people, you know, in the country. Bobby Kennedy, Jackie Kennedy, these people knew how power worked. So we need to respect their conclusions. I would say that's one thing. Um, but a second thing that I think in kind of the bigger picture, you ask about the legacy of the assassination. I mean, the fact that there was no in real investigation of Oswald and the CIA, the CIA had impunity after Kennedy's assassination. Hmm. And I think that really had a long-term effect um, in terms of, you know, the foreign policy of the United States and the military interventionism and the yeah. I mean, interventionism in general. Um, and the, the reliance on covert operations. Um, you know, if there had been real accountability in 1963, I, 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 I don't think the country would have gone down that path. Hmm. Once the CIA had impunity, I mean, you know, they had impunity and people with power, you know, will abuse it. And so the CIA was checked a little bit in the 1970s when the Zabruder film came out and there was a lot of revelations about Watergate and Congress undertook a serious, real investigation of the CIA, and the CIA's budget was cut for the first time. So the CIA did experience some accountability in the 1970s, but they were never held accountable for JFK's assassination. And I think that had a very bad long-term effect on the foreign policy of the country. Yeah. Who runs the CIA? Uh, you know, the, the, the CIA is um, a kind of uh, high-powered university hmm. by the government. It has an excellent analytical, um, you know, side, um, highly qualified people analyzing, you know, every country in the world, developments, trying to get, you know, create an accurate, up-to-date picture so that policymakers, military, you know, have this information that they need to conduct U.S. policy. Um, they also have a clandestine service, which is, you know, basically has a license to kill and steal anywhere in the world, um, a license that is not supposed to apply in the United States, but frequently does. Um, and so, yeah, that's who runs the CIA is the people who are atop that organization. Um, you know, uh, you know, a, a, uh, an entrenched bureaucratic elite in Washington. Any evidence that they have a say in who gets in the presidency? Uh, uh, I mean, you know, the first President Bush was a former CIA director and was actively and widely supported by CIA personnel. I mean, but 
President Bush won the election. The CIA didn't win the election right. uh, of 1988. Um, so, no, I don't think the CIA picks the president. I think we have a consensual political system, which, you know, pe people who are highly critical of the CIA, you know, are excluded from, uh, uh, you know, high positions of power. Not totally. Um, and that could be a reflection of, you know, the CIA's power in the, in the Washington scheme of things. But their mission... But do they pick the president? No, yeah. they but don't. But their mission and motive of doing coups or counter-coups or whatever they're doing around the world, there must be this, this, this idea that they're doing the right thing for the country. They must think... Absolutely. They must think Absolutely. they are, right? I, they must think all they are. The, all, all of my friends who have worked at the CIA think that and believe that. Really? It's curious. I mean, and, you know, most of the U.S. Congress believes it. Most of the editors of major newspapers believe it. A lot of leading academics believe it. Um, and a lot of the, the public believes it because they vote for those people. Um, you know, uh, when people criticize the CIA, you know, uh, there's a lot of people who defend it. Um, and even the people who criticize the CIA, like Trump, you know, when push comes to shove, they actually don't mean it, you know. Um, so... But yeah, the CIA is a, is, is, is a powerful force in the constellation of American power. When you worked for the Washington Post, were, were you free to look into whatever you wanted to back then? Yes. Were you? And, I, and, I, and I published my JFK reporting in the Washington Post. Didn't make me popular in the newsroom. Really? And there were definitely guardrails on how far you could go with the JFK story, and I bumped into those. Um, but no, I was not, you know, I mean, the Washington Post is a great newspaper. Let me just say that. It's a great newspaper. Um, uh, performs a valuable service as the um, newspaper of record in Washington. Has done very good reporting on the January 6th insurrection that threatened our democracy. Um, so all of that is true at the same time that the Washington Post is embedded in the Washington scheme of things, constellation of power. There's different power centers in Washington. And the Washington Post is one and the CIA is another and the Republican Party is a third. So it's a it's a constellation. It's a you know it's a galaxy of power. And those institutions, you know, work with each other and they reach accommodations. And so one of the accommodations that has been reached is that if major newspapers want access to CIA officials, you know, to do their job, right? It's the job of the Washington Post to report on the CIA. Um, if they want access to those officials, you know, they can't, you know, be too critical. Otherwise, they won't get the access and they won't get the story and they can't do the job. Hmm. So, so, so that bargain, kind of implicit agreement, not written down anywhere, is, you know, you can't be too critical. So, like, journalists who cover the CIA, I mean, they can't be too sympathetic to somebody like Ed Snowden. Or, you know, um, they, a little bit, but they have to be careful if they want to keep their access. So, no. you know, that's, that's kind of the culture of Washington. That's not a conspiracy, that's a culture. That's a culture, the way it is. Is an interesting email from... Shelly, I'm enjoying the show. Thanks for having him on. But everything I've seen, she says, there's just no way that Lee Harvey Oswald could have fired those shots in four seconds or whatever it was. And is that so? Is that fact or fiction? Uh, no, I think I, th I think I, 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 I think she's right. The the official story that Oswald fired three shots in uh, in, 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 in 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 six seconds, you know. Um, one, one interesting story is the, the Mossad, the Israeli intelligence yes, service, sir. tried to confirm that scenario, the Warren Commission scenario. And they devoted a lot of effort to recreating the circumstances with the right rifle. And they couldn't reproduce the results. CBS News did the same thing. Um, they couldn't reproduce the results, so they kind of jiggered the results to get the result they wanted. But no... The story, the official account of the gunfire and the timing and the sequence, 
it's not credible. Just not credible. That's you know, I mean, yeah, and so you know, the, the, this this correspondent is exactly right. I mean, you start from that that foundation. You know, the basic description of the crime is not credible, so we need a better description, and that's what we're looking for. Fifty nine years later. Yeah, years today, and then of course all kinds of reports about somebody being in a sewer and different on the you know what the grassy knoll and all that. Do we know any facts about other shooters, or is that all still conjecture? Well, I mean, I cited the testimony of Dr. McClellan, right. who said that the shot, the shot came from the front. There's some speculation about who might have done that. I mean, what's interesting about that speculation, or the only speculation that I pay attention to, is uh, claims that are documented by witnesses, mm-hmm. right? So... Um, somebody has a, a point of fact. So there were several people who, over the years, were said to be somebody who fired at the president besides Lee Harvey Oswald, and that people around them, their friends, believed that. Now, that's not to say that somebody saw them there, but I'm thinking in, in particular of, 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 a, of one Cuban man who uh, Cuban intelligence came to believe might have been a grassy knoll gunman. So there is some speculation about that. Do we know anything? I wouldn't, I wouldn't, nothing that I would write in print. I'll put it that way. Nothing that you would, you know, right. But that's what you're hoping to get with these records is more eyewitnesses that day that talked about shots or whatever. No, that, no? None, of the, none of the remaining, none of the remaining documents are eyewitness testimony. Oh, they're not. How do we know that, what they have? Uh, because we have a listing of the records hmm. of, that have been deposited in the National Archives. And and a lot of these records have been partially declassified. So we know the date, we know what the document is about. But no, these are not eyewitness statements. People say that a lot of those have just been lost over the years. Is that, do we, we don't know? I mean... No, no, we have, we yeah. have those... We, yeah, yeah. There's, there are good collections of the statements of of witnesses and good analysis of what they said. Um, so um, that has not been lost. I think that it, that evidence is hasn't been sufficiently appreciated. I mean, a lot of people thought that gunshots came from the front. 40 to 50 people gave statements to that From the effect. front, 40, 50 people from the front. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Now, that's out of several hundred who gave statements about the origins of the gunfire. A lot of people thought that all the gunfire came from behind huh? the president, which is the official story. Mm-hmm. A significant minority, probably around 40%, said they thought a shot came from the front. Um, that, including 21 law enforcement officers on the scene, reported that they believe a shot had come from the front. So, you know, there's substantial evidence to that effect. Oh. <laughs> Excuse me. In hindsight, you know, six years later, do you suppose the, um, how can I say this, the CIA's involvement with the media of the time over the last 10 or 20 years after the assassination and not wanting to get more into this thing. Um, yeah, I mean, the CIA controlled the record of the assassination from 1963 until about 19. They controlled everything in the, the records. Right. Thanks to Oliver Stone's movie and the JFK Records Act, we finally began to obtain the CIA's own records on the subject. So, But for those first 30 years, the CIA was absolutely a gatekeeper um, and controlled the story and was in a position to kind of control the narrative. Now that the pre-assassination Oswald file is out there, now that we know about these deception operations, now that we know the Fair Play for Cuba committee was targeted, those gatekeepers are defunct. They can't control the story anymore. Now, they're still influential, and you know, mainstream news media reporters who want to get along with the CIA know that they can't you know, be too skeptical of the CIA's explanation on JFK if they want to do their jobs and if they want to get promotions. Hmm. Now, I will also say 
that is beginning to end. Is it? Why? Okay? Why? Because the CIA is no longer the gatekeeper. Hmm. Anybody can go see these records. Before, if a reporter was interested and wanted to get the CIA side of the story, they couldn't go see the records themselves. They'd have to go to a senior CIA official and say, you know, please tell me what happened. And so the CIA official was in a position, CIA officials were in a position to give the story that the institution wanted. This one guy killed the president. We didn't know anything about him. Sorry, Mrs. Kennedy. We'll try better next time. That's, they were in a position to basically enforce that as the story. Well, after Stone's movie, they lost control of the public record, and it's now in the public record. All of the things I'm saying are not a matter of theory. They're a matter of fact. You can go to the Mary Farrell site, maryfarrell.org, yes. and you can see the pre-assassination Oswald file. You can read Operation Northwoods. So, you know, the gatekeepers are gone, and in the long term, that's going to have an effect. In the short term, in the first 30 years, it also had a huge effect. You know, the fact that the CIA was the gatekeeper on the record of the assassination meant that the CIA was in a position to protect itself. Hmm. That's that's no longer the case, or its ability to do so is much less, because now reporters can go. And, I mean, over these past 30 years, I have a lot of friends in the national press. You know, I'm, I work at the Washington Post. That's my, that's my professional milieu. And when I point these things out to people, even people who believe the Warren Commission, they say, wow, you know, yeah, that's like, you know, that's significant. You know, they might not come around and say, oh, the president was killed by his enemies, but they they understand that the CIA was not straightforward and they see how much was hidden. So I think the skepticism in the media, in the elite media, is growing. Hmm. And I think that, you know, the fact that they've blown two deadlines in five years, even the most, you know, ardent supporter of the Warren Commission... <laughs> Is starting to say, hey, like, really? Like, what's going on? Let's here? see these you know? things. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So the common sense position, I think, has changed in recent years. And now the common sense position is, you know, what are they hiding? That's the question I hear all the time. Jeff, what are they hiding? Hmm. So, and we still don't know the answer to that. But like I say, we have a pretty good idea. They're hiding sources and methods around Lee Harvey Oswald. Yes, sir. So before we go, who, who was the, um, the president when after the stone movie that signed this thing where these records had to come out who was who was the president that did that that was president george bush was it george bush interesting huh? yeah he did not want to sign it in, incidentally really no oh. yeah and he said this is a this is a a, a this in, infringes on the president's power he wanted the president to have the final say over what became public hmm. not not some independent review board which is what the law did but, you know, in, 19, in the fall of 1992, Bush was in a tight uh, uh, election battle against challenger Bill Clinton and Ross Perot. Oh, and yeah, um, I remember. Uh, and the memories of the movie were very fresh. And Bush did not dare veto this bill for political reasons because it was so, you know, it was so popular. This law had passed unanimously in Congress. Imagine that. Think how long Imagine. it's going to be before Congress, a, a U.S. Congress passes something unanimously. Hmm. I mean, in, in, in today's atmosphere, it is so unlikely. Well, back then, we had real consensus around this issue. From far left to far right, wow. everybody agreed. And so Bush had to sign the bill because Clinton was making hay about it. You know, and, 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 and Bush couldn't afford to be seen as opposing it. So Bush caved to public opinion, which is a good thing. Hmm. Elected leaders should do that. When the, the people unanimously say they want something, the president should go along with it. And President Bush did that. Fascinating. Wow. Yeah. It, was that was it a big deal back then? I don't. I, I wasn't very in tune with politics. Was it out in the media? The whole should he do it or should he okay it or not? Uh, I mean, it, you know, it wasn't like a front page story, but it was. You yeah. know, it was out there. Um, it, you it know, out there. people wanted to know. Um, uh, you know, the congressional leaders who had backed this legislation, John Glenn wrote the bill in the Senate um, and uh, Lee Hamilton wrote the bill in the House. I mean, these were leading, you know, leading politicians of the day. You know, they were behind this thing. So, yeah, people were talking about it for sure. So I've, I received three or four different emails. Uh, thanks for the show, but I just don't understand why he might believe that this thing could come out in December if they've 
put it down twice in a row. That's what they're thinking. I mean, the CIA still has I mean, I mean, have, have yeah, a lot of I juice mean, with President Biden right now, right? I mean, they have to. Sure, right? I mean, Biden's fighting a big war in Ukraine. He needs an intelligence service. He doesn't want to piss them off. So, yeah, so, you know, they, they, they have influence over him. Um, uh, so, you know, the, the reader is, is, is skeptical that things will come out on December 15th. Yeah, I mean, but I'm skeptical too. But the only way to get results is to demand them, okay? We're demanding full release on December 15th. If we don't get it, well, that's another fact that people can factor into their thinking Thank about you. November 22nd is once again, they're not coming clean. You know, yes. what's, your, what's the explanation for that? So I appreciate that, you know, I may be wrong. We may not get full disclosure. But in order to, to make progress, we have to make the demand. Yeah, which is why you're vice president of the Mary Farrell Foundation. So, so when you say you're demanding, can you actually sue? You're suing the president? How does that yeah. work? Yeah, um, we're suing the president. The Mary Farrell Foundation is suing President Biden in the National Archives under something called the Administrative Procedures Act. And the Administrative Procedures Act says that if the government doesn't implement the law as it is written, if they don't follow the administrative procedures, there is a process for holding them accountable. Oh. So our argument is, is that the president and the archivist have not followed the language of the law um, in implementing the JFK Records Act with the result that we don't have all the records. Um, and so that's the gist of our argument. As a foundation, we're an educational institution, and our mission is to bring the record of the assassination to everybody everywhere, to put it all online. Um, and so the failure of the, of the government to really enforce this law impedes our mission. We can't do what we're setting out to do because the government's not doing its job. So that's why we sue. And so does that have to make its way into a court to have any kind of relevance, or can they just yeah, dismiss so it filed, out of hand? We, we filed suit in San Francisco federal court in October. Um, our, our attorney, Bill Simpich, is a civil rights litigator in the Bay Area. Mm. Um, and so that's where we filed the, the case. Um, uh, and we will get a hearing with a judge sometime in January. Um, the government will file a brief um, and state its position, and then we'll see where it goes. Um, uh, I think, you know, it's going to take a while. There's going to be a lot of sort of distracting arguments to try and get rid of us. I don't think those arguments are going to work because I think we have a very strong position legally and in public opinion, but it's going to take a while. And can you keep going up in courts all the way? How does that work? Well, if um, if you if, have to, uh, I mean, if we get a favorable decision, I assume the government will appeal it. Mm -hmm. I hope they wouldn't. I would hope they would just say, "Okay, we'll obey the law." Um, so yeah, it could go to a higher court, and if we get turned down, we will we will appeal, appeal. and make our make our our case to a higher court. Something like that, would it ever go to the Supreme Court? Is that a constitutional issue? Um, you know, uh, it could go to the Supreme Court. Um, uh, the Supreme Court doesn't take many cases that are possible, only about, uh, uh, they get about 800 applications a year to hear cases, and they only take about 80. Um, so, not likely to go to the Supreme Court. I mean, our hope is that we will make the point and the government will understand mm -hmm. that they have not complied with the law. And the easiest thing for them to do will be to comply with the law and that they will understand that. And we will actually get some resolution of that. We're not looking for a long drawn out court battle. We're looking to get the law enforced mm -hmm. as soon as possible because we're, we've blown two deadlines in five years. That's your real argument that they have to comply by the law, which is in place. That's it. Absolutely. It's, it's, it, it's a commonsensical proposition. Mm -hmm. no. It's not, there's nothing strange about it. The government's position is the eccentric one, that we have the right to keep these secrets in defiance of Congress for as long as we want. Right. No, you don't. <laughs> I mean, you just don't, you know? Like, and that's hard to say, and it's especially hard to say in the language of the law, um, because 
the language of the law is very dense and governments enjoy lots of deference from the courts but we have found a legal argument that applies so that's why we're suing if it gets sticky around this uh is there any hope in your mind that you'll be able to get some kind of media um reporting on this so people know that they're turning you down the washington post when we filed suit we were covered by nbc news cbs news cnn ah, fox news cool. so yes we get media coverage oh my jfk reporting gets media coverage jfk conspiracy theories don't get media coverage my jfk reporting does so pay attention because they you've been credible over the years and you haven't done a lot of uh, you know tinfoil hat stuff right no bs <laughs> it's all factual so uh before you go uh, tell folks about what they're going to find there when they visit your Substack and also mary com. i'm on it now no 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 it's mary oh mary sorry so sorry mary okay it's 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 sponsored by the mary farrell foundation i got you so it's mary farrell f-e-r-r-e-l-l Farrell, F-E-R-R-E-L-L, maryferrell.org. Maryferrell.org is the largest site online with uh, providing JFK documents and information. By far the largest uh, collection uh, on the internet. My site, jfkfacts.substack.com, is a daily newsletter about recent developments in the JFK story. And so I report there pretty much every day about things that have come up in the past or things that are happening now. Um, and you can subscribe to that. There's a free version um, and there's a paid version where you get a lot more content. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a place to keep up with the JFK story. And if you're interested in this and you're interested in what's going to happen, what's the government doing, then this is the place to go. If you want to talk about JFK theories and you want to you know, argue about JFK theories, <clears throat> I don't recommend my site. Mm -hmm. it, it's not that it's not about JFK theories. It's what it says it is. It's about JFK facts. And who is Mary Farrell? I never even ask you that. Yeah, I needed. I didn't ask you that. Mary. Yeah. Mary Farrell was a very interesting character who I think should inspire us all. She was the uh, she was a legal secretary in, at a high powered law firm in Dallas. Today she would have been a high powered lawyer. That's the kind of personality and 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 intellect she had. Mm. But at that time, a woman could only do a secretarial job. But um, after Kennedy was assassinated, Mary Farrell smelled a rat and um, she began to collect information. And she was really the first JFK archivist. And she kept in touch with people all over the country and people had stories and people sent newspaper clippings. And, uh -huh. and so she became this kind of hub of research. So she died in 1999, but her collection became the basis for this website of information about JFK's assassination. Uh -huh. So she was the inspiration. That's why the site is named after her. Do you remember the moment when you knew there was a rat in with this whole thing in your life? Do you remember? I mean, you know, I always found the official story hard to believe. And um, uh, I read a couple of books in the 1990s that I think really convinced me. Um, one was a book called... Um, Accessories After the Fact, which was written by a woman named Sylvia Marr. It was a very factual analysis of the Warren Commission. No theory to it. Just, she just said, this story doesn't hang together for these reasons. Mm -hmm. And there were many, many reasons which she laid out in, in a very dry and convincing way. So that book pushed me a long way towards you know, not believing the official story. Then there was a book called Not in Your Lifetime by an a Irish journalist Anthony Summers and uh, he had gone back in the late 1970s and started interviewing people who the Warren Commission didn't talk to and that book amazed me because of the, the many people he found who had never talked to anybody and had amazing stories about Oswald before the assassination and his connections with right-wing groups in Dallas so that book was very convincing to me um, but it wasn't until I saw the CIA's pre-assassination Oswald file in its full form in 2001 that I fully understood that the official story was not true and that the official story, in fact, was a cover for what else, for what really happened. The real story. Well, Mr. The Morley, 
Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was an honor to talk to you, and especially on this day, 59 years ago. You see, you can do his Substack there and sign up and also go to maryferrell.org and learn more. Well, have a good day, sir. Again, it was a pleasure. Thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Patrick. Take care. Take care of yourself. Jefferson Morley, Washington Post reporter and pretty interesting. Yeah, I remember the day. I remember the day. The moment. The moment. And then we spent, um, for those of you who aren't around, I think the whole world just kind of spent um, the entire weekend. <laughs> My dog just kind of, the entire weekend watching um, watching television. And that's what we did. And then they did the whole thing with, it was amazing, just an incredible time. And then we were all watching, of course, the uh, the television on Sunday morning I didn't even get into Jack Ruby with him, but um, so much to talk about. He only had an hour to give us. Um, then this fellow mobster, Jack Ruby, moves into the screen on television and shoots Oswald, you know. It was really something. Well, I love you all very much. Thank you for being here for our little special broadcast today. We just... Um, didn't want to do anything else, just wanted to do the Kennedy thing and then call it a day. We'll see you tomorrow. Adam Bergstrom will be here at uh, 10 o'clock Central Time. Adam 2.0. We have lots to talk about. And then uh, Thanksgiving, right, coming up. So take care of yourself. Let me know if I can help with anything. We didn't do any commercials, but we've got some really, really nice uh, Black Friday sales coming up whenever that starts. When is it? Wednesday night? Whatever. And uh, we have a lot of great sales for you of the products that we promote. And that's how we support ourselves. So we thank you very much for your ongoing support. So I love you all. Take care. We'll see you tomorrow at 10 o'clock. Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.